Welcome to Backseat Directing, where we talk about movies, TV shows, comics, and more. We're your hosts, Andrew and Aaron, and today we are breaking down the movie Law Abiding Citizen in our brand new studio. Three, two, one, action. Like two to three weeks ago, you were like, hey, Aaron, have you seen Law Abiding Citizen? And I said, yeah, I have. It's a good movie. What about it? And you're like, I just watched it. We should do an episode. So I went on the internet, watched Law Abiding Citizen, and now here we are breaking down the movie. Yeah, I, right after I watch a movie, I generally have like this like boiling over of thoughts. <laughs> Um, that like normally I'll like spew onto my friends and family who do not care to hear about it. So hopefully that's this like, is a safe yeah, space. <laughs> so, something that's something the podcast is really good for. Cause I can kind of like get that out of my system. It's like, it's like overflowing. I need to, to release my thoughts on, on the subject. Yeah. So this movie starts off with a pretty hard to watch opening scene where two burglars break in to Clyde Sheldon's house, who is Gerard Butler. Um, amidst the chaos, Clyde end up, ends up getting hit, he gets tied up and stabbed, and then he is forced to watch the murder of his wife and daughter. The burglar who committed the murders ends up with only a few years in jail as the evidence wasn't enough to kind of pin him away for good. The movie Time Jumps 10 years into the future, where Clyde is now on a mission to strategically take revenge on the people who killed his family and the justice system that did his family wrong. So this movie was created in 2009, which, or came out in 2009, which I thought it came out a little sooner than that. Um, it is an hour and 49 minutes long. It's rated R. It has an IMDb rating of 7.4 out of 10 has Rotten Tomato score from the critics of only 26%, and that's out of 162 reviews. And then audience score has it ranked at a 75%. Andrew, where do you kind of have this movie sitting? Um, I think that a 7.5 is pretty fair. I would maybe even give it a little bit lower, um, like a 7 out of 10 for my Which personal taste. pretty good, right? Yeah, pretty good as far as movie goes. It's an enjoyable watch. And I think that if the movie had gone a different direction, I easily could have seen it being a 9 out of 10. Um, and I'm going to go into uh, what I think the movie needed to improve Andrew's on been in depth. dying to yeah, talk about I the improvements have a this lot of thoughts on this movie because I think it's a very strong movie concept-wise. And what Aaron just went over is a general... Uh, idea of the plot. We are going to go further into spoiler territory if you continue to watch it. Like you said, the movie's been out since 2009, so you've had plenty of time to watch it. Um, but it, this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, whether you've seen the movie or not, we're just going to go, um, we're both going to talk about in our backseat directing segment what they, we think could have changed. But I think this movie could have easily been in my top 20 movies of all time with some relatively large tweaks. And I, I don't think that's the case for just any given movie. All right, this movie had a budget of $53 million. 
and it more than doubled that budget in the box office, bringing in $127.9 million. Yeah, it's a, it a big success. And like for an action movie like this, those are really good numbers that I'm sure they were happy to see. Part of why they're um, working on green lighting a sequel right now. Have you heard about this? A sequel to this movie? Yes. Oh, well, I did not. I, I don't know if it's technically a sequel or a prequel. Or, or Yeah, but it's um, it's has Gerard Butler attached as a producer. He was a producer for this movie. Um, and it's in works with Ray Violette, which is uh, a film company that the, the details of the plot are still closely guarded. But I read an article from, I think, May of this year announcing that they are working on... Um, another law-abiding citizen movie. All right. You heard it here f first, folks. <laughs> I, haven't, I, haven't heard, I, I haven't heard that anywhere else, so I think that's um, not hugely talked about news right yeah. now. All right, Andrew, who directed this movie? Who starred in this movie? How did this movie get made? All right. So this movie, uh, the director is F. Gary Gray. Um, I have... F. Gary Gray's credits on here to look at. Um, he's directed a lot of action movies, a lot of ones that I'm sure we all know the names of, um, household name action movies like Men in Black uh, International, The Fate of the Furious. I haven't heard of it. <laughs> is that, is that a, a relatively new film? Um, so that's the, the eighth Fast and the Furious movie. So he's got some really good credits along with the movie we're talking about today. Straight out of Compton as well. Italian Job. That's a big action movie. So I see why. I actually just watched that yesterday. After watching this movie fully um, and realizing that it seemed like the writers intended it to be an action movie. Um, he makes a lot of sense as a choice for a director. They originally had a different director, and Gerard Butler said that that director had actually fully finished the movie, um, but they just had a difference of opinion. Um, like they filmed it and everything? Yes, the movie was completed. Um, but that director had a different vision of the movie, um, a different vision of the character, and Gerard Butler, as one of the producers, said that they kind of amicably split ways, even after the movie was completed. So they brought on uh, Gray, and he was very excited, had tons of ideas, and they produced closer to what the producers wanted the movie to be, I suppose, which I think is probably part of why this movie seems to have, in my opinion, some genre confusion. I think this movie doesn't seem throughout to know what genre it wants to fit in. Um, and it kind of settles into action in like the second and third acts of the movie. Mm -hmm. But I think that... Yeah, the first like half of the movie is definitely I, not like an action. I film. think it's more of yeah. like psychological. Psychological you know? thriller, very yeah. much. And I, that's what I saw too. So that's where I kind of... Yeah felt like it started to go off the rails but yeah i think that they probably use footage from both that's directors so interesting how that can happen like that they can get that far yeah and finish the production of a movie which is not an easy task and then for someone to be like nah let's let's start over yeah because like, that's crazy how is their budget not higher than what it was and like like you would think that it, they must have had a really low budget for this in the beginning, right? Because, yeah. I mean, that has to be calculated into this price of how much this movie took to make. Yeah, I think... That's a 
multi-million dollar mistake. Well, they probably got Gerard Butler for really cheap because he's a producer on the film. So yeah. he's taking percentage credits. So in terms of paying the actors, they probably got him really cheap, which I'm sure helped. But he, I believe the interview that I watched with him, he specifically said that they had a finished cut of the film mm -hmm. that they went over and watched, and it was not what they exactly wanted to see. So then they moved on. And he, and he said like... See, I thought that was like with the script or something. I didn't realize that they fully finished the movie. Yeah, and it's strange, it's strange too because they seem to disagree throughout, but they also maintain like a professional and friendly relationship because Gerard Butler said like, it was very amicable. Just he said, whenever I heard, he specifically said, when I hear creative differences in this industry, I think, oh, they must have had a huge falling out. But in this case, it was just truly artistic difference that they amicably split, split ways. Man, wouldn't you be a little like butthurt? <laughs> I'd be upset to see someone else's name on a movie that I had like a different vision for and a different movie to come. And out. you got the finish. I want to see that cut. I, that'd be hey, release the release it. I, I, Who was it? I, I don't have that director's name, uh, but we're gonna find that out. We're gonna find that out. <laughs> but so you that, talk and I'll look for it. So that's a really good um, list of credits for F. Gary Gray. But let's move on to the stars of our movie. So Jamie Foxx stars as Nick Rice. He is a well-to-do lawyer, a hotshot, up-and-coming, kind of a cocky attitude, very intelligent and very talented at what he does. Gerard Butler. Uh, plays Clyde Shelton. Clyde Shelton, um, at the beginning of this film, seems to be some kind of inventor, family man. Um, he is, as Aaron described, loses his family and becomes bent and obsessed on revenge throughout the plot of this movie. We have an appearance that I was not expecting from Viola Davis as the mm -hmm. mayor. Yeah. Very excited to see Viola Davis show up in this movie, as always. Um, she's an incredible, incredible, talented actress. Um, we have Michael Kelly, who plays Bray. He has a short scene where he is the kind of informant for uh, for Nick in that tunnel. Um, he is a lesser-known actor who you will have seen in many different movies. He's one of those people. So Michael Kelly is in Man of Steel, Now You See Me, Chronicle, Criminal Minds, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and the movie Unbreakable, just to name a few of his roles. But you surely would recognize him if you saw him if you don't know his name. Um, then our villains... Uh, John Stewart plays Rupert Ames, and Kristen Stolt plays Clarence Darby, who is incredibly hateable in this film, like I was telling Very you earlier. Very much so. <laughs> yeah, you hate him so much, so he must be doing something right as an actor. And then finally, Leslie Bibb plays Sarah Lowell, who is the, uh, the, the other lawyer who works with Nick. Frank Darbot? Darbot? Is the writer director who was originally supposed to be working on Law Abiding Citizen. He has worked on, he was the writer of The Shawshank Redemption, writer for The Green Mile, The Miss, Walking Dead writer from 2010 to 2022. He wrote for Green Mile? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a huge credit. So. He, he's, he's worked on some things, and, and those movies kind of fit the tone of the beginning of the movie. Yeah, you know? yeah like, very serious, dramatic yeah, elements. Yeah, not, a, not relying on like heavy car chases and, yeah. and fist fights and guns and stuff, you know? So, release the Frank cut. <laughs> release it. I want to see it. I would love to see that movie. I think that could, like I said, that could be the one that crosses my top 20. Yeah. But... Uh, then for cinematographer, behind the camera, we have Jonathan Sella. Hope I'm pronouncing your name right, sir. But he has a lot of credits that I really love. Another, See, this is another thing where you see the effect of this clearly wanting to be an action movie. 
So you've got like an action cinematographer with originally a more dramatic person behind the in the director's chair. So uh, which set, makes sense, right? Gerard Butler's in action over movies. the top uh, action movies. Yeah. You know, he's usually in action or like rom-com. a romantic comedy. Um, I feel like he hasn't been in rom coms in a long time. In a long time, for sure. Yeah. But I um, that's the genres I associate him with. But I loved him as a dramatic role in the first half of this movie. Yeah. Um, so Silla, so Jonathan Sella is a cinematographer for Bullet Train, Lost City. Hobbs and Shaw, Deadpool 2, Transformers, The Last Night, Atomic Blonde, and John Wick, amongst others. Those were the most notable yeah. credits, in my opinion. That, and that's funny, because that's how the end of this film feels. Yeah. And it, one of those movies. But it doesn't really feel like that for the whole first part of the movie. No, it doesn't. There, there's definitely a shift. And now that like you said something, targeting it directly. like I, I felt it when I was watching it. Mm-hmm. But like now that you pointed it out, it's like really obvious let's go into the plot so that we can we can pinpoint along where this starts to change yeah so the movie starts out um we've got clyde shelton he it it starts off like you said very dramatically he's just at home with his wife and daughter and they're attacked and clarence darby really taking the the lead on these evil actions um but along with help from rupert ames breaks into their house in this home invasion he kills his wife and child and almost kills clyde shelton um, and then after this, we cut to the future where we get our new important character, ten Nick, years. Yeah. Nick Rice. Or so before oh, we no, cut no, forward yeah, ten yeah, years, yeah. yeah. I agree Nick, Nick Rice uh, is now trying, trying the case, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he explains, oh, this heartbreaking scene. He explains to Clyde Shelton that um, Clarence Darby is testifying against Rupert Ames, and so we're going to cut him a deal, and Rupert Ames is going to get the death penalty. But Clyde knows that Clarence Darby is the real villain, the one who he says he killed my little girl. And like I was like welling up tears the way he says that is like he killed his daughter, and he's watching this man and get a, get yeah. off on a deal in this corrupt system that prioritizes st- like numbers over justice. Um, and ultimately, he sees. His lawyer, not necessarily his lawyer, because I believe he's for fighting for the state, but he sees this lawyer, Nick, shake hands with Clarence Darby, and like, it's just kind of all of this together is the breaking point for for um, Shelton. Sheldon. Mm-hmm. So he starts planning this intricate journey of revenge, um, and then we cut ten years later, and what happens? Yeah. So at this point, we it opens with the scene of. Um, they're in the jail, and which yes. one got punished? Rupert or, Ames yes. is the one that's. So Ames is in jail. He is about ready to serve the death penalty for his actions, and he's tied up to the chair, and like any last words, and he's like, uh, "The wrong man's dying here tonight. I was in the wrong place. I definitely should have done, shouldn't have done what I did, but I did not kill that that man's family." And he, from there, like, said his piece, and they injected him with the stuff, and he starts to pass away, and then all of a sudden, he, like, kind of wakes up in uh, terror and extreme pain, and no one knows what's going on. Wasn't that, that scene is so visceral, and doesn't it feel to you like a monster movie scene? Like, it's like a Frankenstein, yeah, bolt of lightning. And it's like, you, like, kind of don't want to watch it, you know? You're like, kind of like, oof. Yeah, that, that scene and the torture scene that we'll talk about later 
it really feels like horror elements, like true horror elements where they're doing psychological thriller, horror, drama, and then just the, the flip later on in the film to action is like pretty drastic. Yeah. Um, but so he ends up passing away in terrible fashion. Oh my gosh, excruciating pain. Some would say deserved. Yeah. Um, and everyone's like, how did that happen? You know, the, um, the lawyer, Nick, who's played by Jamie Foxx, was like, we got to figure out what was going on. They're talking to the warden. The warden's like, none of my guys would do this, you know, like, where we follow things to the T, blah, blah, blah. And then they're somehow convinced that it was Clarence Darby who was involved because I believe they find a note or something that says his line of, um... I forget. He, uh, Darby has a specific line that he whispers to to Clyde when he's attacking his family, and this leads them to Darby. So now the cops are rushing over to Darby's apartment. Yes. And, but they're also, during this, kind of like, all right, who has motive? And Nick's name, or sorry, not Nick, uh, Clyde Sheldon's name comes up. So, like, they were kind of on to both of them. Which is a little realistic, right? Yeah, like, yeah. who was connected to this guy? But they were definitely going after um, the bad guy first. I was impressed that Nick, in that scene, remembered... He, like, remembered some obscure thing that Clarence Darby said 10 years ago. Yeah. I was like, well, I guess it must have been kind of <laughs> stuck with him, I guess. Yeah. So, they we go to his apartment now. Um, and from there... He's just living the life at this point, right? So he only had three years time in jail um, for making that deal. Which is disgusting. Yes, because he's the one who... These things do really happen too, which is like the... Yeah, he's the one who committed the crime or the murders, um, or at least uh, kind of took the lead and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, he's, he's just chilling at home, doing drugs. He has a lady pass out on his couch and then he receives a phone call. It's a cryptid voice. It's like, hey, look at the south side of your window or west side or whatever. And uh, the cops are coming for you. You gotta get out of there. And he's like, what, what? Ah. So he grabs his gun or, or no, he didn't have a gun at this point. He, he does have a gun. He dumps it in the chimney. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he goes running oh, yeah, along the, the rooftops. The yep. Yeah. Yep, the yep. voice kind of leads him along, um, the out, you know, to this cop car and he hops in where there's a passed out cop. He forces him to take him to a location where it's unveiled that that passed out cop was our kind of our uh, protagonist of the story, yeah. especially at this point. Um, Clyde Sheldon. Yeah, and he... Gerard Butler. He tricks him and gets him with the tetrodotoxin that paralyzes him, and then he has him on the table, poisoning him, where he now repeats Clarence Darby's line to him, which I found online, is can't fight fate. That's that we were it. forgetting earlier, yeah. yeah. And at this point, Shelton tortures, brutally tortures. Tortures. And tortures is an understatement. Yeah. The worst kind of death you can imagine he gives this guy who killed his family. And I remember... He gave him adrenaline. To keep, to keep, uh, to keep his him awake, awake and his senses working. Put a mirror above him so he can see what, what was happening. With the picture of his family on there too. So it'd be yeah. the last thing he ever saw. Yeah. It's pretty dark. And just because of the graphic nature, we won't go into saying any of the specific actions that he does. But um, this is a very dark, gruesome story that they're telling at this point. Um, and... I would, I would argue most of the audience is still easily on 
Clyde Sheldon's side oh, and, for and sure. backing him as the hero of the story. For sure. For Despite sure. the fact that this is not what a hero could do. We're dealing with an anti hero. At this point, you're like, okay, this is bad, but I'm still rooting for him in some ways because what would I do in this situation? You know, as a yeah. viewer, you're like, someone just killed my family. Like, it would be hard not to want to do exactly what Clyde is doing to this guy. It's like he says later in the movie, in the interrogation, he says, yeah, I thought about killing him. Who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. Like, if somebody murdered your family, you, who's really going to think, well, I wish them the best, and I hope yeah. that... They hope ha- the law catches up to them. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's, ra- it's, it's not wholly unrational to have that natural human urge for vengeance. And I think that's why the audience sit with, sits with Gerard Butler in this movie for so, so long. Um, but... So he murders him, and then um, he ultimately gets arrested in the, the scene where they, um, you know, obviously force in the shot of Gerard Butler's ripped physique. Um, he strips fully naked uh, yep. for the audience's uh, viewing. They, again, go and arrest him or bring him in for interrogation based off the notion that they think that he might have had something to do with the thing that happened at the prison. Yeah, at this point, I don't think they've yet tied the they didn't have location any, back to him. Yeah, they didn't have his ownership evidence yet. But he's uh, pretty coy in the interrogation with with Nick, where he's essentially admitting to to this wrongdoing, to this crime, and um, he tells Nick, repeats his line back to him: "It's not what you know; it's what you can prove in court." Mm-hmm. And this is the first appearance we get of this epic set piece that the movie has which is the bird cage essentially the giant cage interrogation room they have in the prison where uh shelton which we'll we'll, we'll pick one or the other we're going to refer to him as clyde shelton and not gerard butler to for ease of listening but where clyde shelton is interrogated in this giant bird cage and it looks incredible it's an incredible set piece i could not find any details about it online but it is huge you know it must be 30 feet tall and it is just so visually interesting to look at. I think it's the coolest set piece in the whole movie. Yeah, it is really cool. And it contains one of my favorite shots from the movie too, where it pans over to him. He's sitting at the table in that cage and we're looking through the door and the door is kind of blacked out. So you just see the the sliver window on the door. And we see uh, Clyde turn his head as the music drops, staring right into the camera. It's like, oh, I felt that. (laughs) Kind of representing like the cage he's in through that small sliver. And like, there's no fear in his eyes. You know, he's in control. He's where he wants to be. You see that on his face, which is represented. It's like small sliver of like, this is right. And then how much of darkness is (laughs) taking up of like, this is wrong. It's an interesting thought too, yeah. The darkness takes up the majority of the screen. You see the small little sliver of light. Yeah, because, I mean, there's a huge moral debate of uh how long you should be on his side and the the degree to which he's in the right you know everyone has their different opinion on how far we should go to punish criminals Um, so at this point in the movie i I would still say everyone's kind of on his side but they're like that was a lot yeah you know and this is where we kind of get to see clyde show his his smarts um because he's he's talking with nick and nick's asking him questions and He's giving them the answers that he wants while in the same time not saying anything, you know, and uh, it's kind of verbal gymnastics, if you will, 
where it's like, all right, I have your confession. Thank you very much. And he's like, no, I just said, I, I, yeah, sure. I wanted to kill him. I never said I did. You might want to cancel your 1230 lunch with Judge Roberts. In fact, you might want to cancel your whole week. (laughs) So (laughs) at that point you realize like, uh oh, there's something more going on here. He's kind of saying, I'm putting on a clinic here. You might yeah. want to take notes because yeah. this is about to get real. And it, it from there, it really does. I mean, glossing over a lot of the specific finer plot points, he has basically laid out a, a plan or a game that has all the people involved in the trial and uh, as pawns that he has planned all their next 20, 50 moves ahead. And everyone's shocked at every turn. Um, he's... He shows the gruesome lengths to which he's continuously willing to go. And an important, a very important scene to me in the courthouse, he shows that this isn't about just revenge. Oh, this this is, scene yeah, is so cool. Incredible. One of the top three scenes in the movie. Yeah. But he's, he's saying he's not just here for revenge. It's he's, not just about him. It's about the system. Yeah, so to, rep, to kind of set the scene a little bit there in court, it's kind of like his first appearance in front of the judge. And he is representing himself and he is talking like a well-sophisticated lawyer who knows what he's talking about. And he's basically saying how he shouldn't be held and that he should have a bail set. That they don't, they don't have evidence and that he right. hasn't yet given the confession that he promised. So he's like naming different laws and all this stuff. And you can see Nick kind of scrambling a little bit. Yeah, and the judge and is the inclined judge, to agree with him. Yeah, the judge starts to agree with him and is like, all right, I'm, I'm going to have to go with his side. And then right as she's about ready to say like, yes, you can have bail. He's like, this is what's wrong. And he blows up yeah. on the judge. Says, I just killed two people and you're about to let me walk right out of Supposedly here. Supposedly killed two people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he, he says, I just killed two people. He might have actually. Yeah, because he's essentially, he's never trying to like prove he's innocent the whole time. He's trying to prove that it doesn't matter. Right. But either way, he was saying like, look, I'm in here because I killed two people and you're about ready just to let me walk. Yeah. Which is exactly what you did with my family. Yeah. That guy essentially got off, Clarence Darby essentially got off with a slap on the wrist. I know a couple years in prison is more than a slap on the wrist, but in comparison with the horrific acts he was involved in. Yeah, and the lifetime, you know, like three years in a lifetime isn't that long, bigger picture, you know? Yeah, it's definitely like, the it, it, you see the argument for why he would have this bloodlust and rage because... The system did him just as wrong almost as Clarence Darby did by letting him, Clarence Darby, get away and by prioritizing, you know, prioritizing moving pieces of meat through the machine instead of prioritizing justice and morality. Andrew, I see you have three comics in your hand right there. They look really nice and I bet some of our listeners would like to read those books. So... How, are, how can our listeners get a hold of these? So we have three comic books here for a giveaway. We are very excited to announce. Uh, we are going to be giving away each of these to a different individual. All you have to do to win one of these comic books is to comment below 
comment anything, comment your favorite action movie, just say hello, and then be subscribed to our page. The three ones that you can win here if you're not on YouTube and you can't see them, um, we have an A-Force comic book. They're all volumes, so they contain multiple issues. So the A-Force comic book, the first issue of the New 52 for The Flash moving forward, and the first issue of the New 52 for Batman, the Court of Owls part one volume. So again, leave a comment down below on this video and be subscribed to our YouTube page and you'll be entered to win these three comic books. Yeah, we're gonna draw a winner, three separate winners so that you have a better chance of winning something. All right, there we go. Andrew, diving back in to Law Abiding Citizen. We're kind of getting towards the part of the movie where the tone kind of shifts. We've realized how smart and uh, ahead of everyone else Clyde Shelton is, and he is controlling the movie for sure. Um, he is in jail, but still is the one making all the moves. And what kind of happens from here, and then what don't you like about that? Okay, so there's a lot of things that are gonna happen that we're gonna kind of brush over, you know. He murders his cellmate, gets moved to solitary, because as we know by the end of the film, that's where he wants to be. But ultimately, the point in the movie where I think everything goes astray, um, and this leads us into our backseat directing segment where we talk about how we might change a movie, what factors of it will keep, and what factors we would change if we were in the director's chair. Insert backseat directing segment theme song. Yeah. Uh, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So the thing that I would change about the movie, I can pinpoint the exact moment where it occurs. It's when they meet the character Bray. Um, so Bray is the the kind of informant for Nick that they meet in the tunnel, um, and they who, he, who meets them. So Nick Rice meets him along with the the other lawyer, the older lawyer yeah. he's been working with, and they've found they've connected with this guy somehow, and he's going to give them some information about Clyde Shelton. Um, that hopefully they're going to give them an, the upper hand because, like you said, Clyde's been controlling the tide of everything. He's had everything planned up until this moment, so they're hoping to get an edge. And when they meet with Bray, they find out he's kind of uh, this ex CIA or some some kind of government individual who has worked with Clyde in the past and this scene completely turns the movie into from what it was into like taken with Liam Neeson which wouldn't be a bad thing particularly if it wasn't in the middle of the movie I love taken with Liam Neeson it's one of my favorite action movies but the the tone completely shifts and it's now an action movie about an ex-CIA agent who has all the knowledge and skills and nothing you can do to stop him. I actually took a quote from this scene that I thought was incredibly cheesy. Bray, Bray says, he's in jail, it's because he wants to be in jail. He's a born tactician. Every move that he makes, it means something. That cellmate that he killed, well, you think that was random? No, that's a pawn being moved off the board. If I were you, I'd be looking for the next piece. Anybody who had anything to do with that case, he's gonna be coming after you. Which that feels like a line that was written for a trailer. Like that feels like a 90s movie trailer line. Like he's taking pieces off the board. He can't be stopped. Like it feels very cheesy to me. And cheesy action movies are great. But I don't want them to appear halfway through every other movie I'm watching. Yeah. Like the movie I love. I love dramas. And I loved the tone of the movie beforehand with the thriller. Everything from here on out. I mean we've got him... With the, the automated turret firing up on the uh, 
on the car, on the vans, um, like giant big guns. We've got explosions. We've got him running away from explosions. Like it's just a Michael Bay movie from there on out. And I feel like it really lost its flavor from that movie, from that from section movie, moving yeah. forward for me. I agree. The, the kind of robot gun there in the cemetery kind of took me out of it a bit. It's like, where do you get this? And also, how do they not see it? It's not that far away from them. You know, yeah. it's like not that small either. It had a bazooka on it. <laughs> just look to the left. Also, from the point he's in solitary onward, he's just leaving prison and coming back in. And it's how is nobody noticing this? How like I, that? I liked it better when he was in control. I think if I were to change the movie, I would change it so that he was just a very intelligent man, maybe just an inventor like we saw in the beginning. But he's a very intelligent man with an obsession, with dedication with a lot of time and a lot of hate and all of that combined just makes him a lethal threat and he's planned out maybe he is a brilliant tactician but he doesn't have to have the military experience not everybody has to be liam neeson and taken yeah or jason he doesn't have to be jason Bourne. exactly it it would be more compelling to be like wow he took 10 years to devise this plan to take revenge on the people who killed his family and then also highlight the wrong within the justice system. Yeah. They also start in the action elements start to lean away from that kind of approach of pointing out the flaws in the justice system, whether fictional or real or real world parallels. They kind of go away from that and it's just a revenge story later in the movie. Whereas that courthouse scene, he made a very big point yeah. that it was a principled stand and it was more than a revenge story. I feel like they laid off of that the second half of the film. So those elements I really didn't like. I, what, so what I would change is I would eliminate the scene with Bray and literally everything after it. I would cut that out of the movie. So everything that they changed from the original script. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was literally like 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10 movie all the way through until was that this moment. Your, like three weeks ago? Is this your first time watching this movie? Yes. first. I love a first time watch. It's such yeah. a special feeling. Yeah. Um, so I, I, before we continue on what you would change, I, I was watching this for the second time, but it's been... A long time. I probably watched it in 2010 or something, you know. So it's been a long time. It's a dark movie you watched when you were a kid. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I saw it like 13 or 14. <laughs> but either way, I, when that part happened where he was talking to this uh, special ops guy, um, Frey? Bray. Bray. Uh, I was like, man, I don't remember him being like in the military at all. Is this part of his plan? Yeah, you know, to try like, a this, trick. Exactly, to try to like plant seeds in the minds of the lawyers and the investigative team, you know, that he's someone who he's not. And then as it kind of kept going, you see like the the different machinery and all this <laughs> stuff, and you're like, son of a gun. <laughs> he was, nope, that's what it was. It <laughs> that's wasn't actually what they were. Plan. Yeah. I was hoping for something more than that, you know, because that's kind of how all action movies go. I was, I was hoping for something more strategic you know and the the gun thing didn't really make any sense like he's shooting up the vehicle and then he blows it up with a bazooka why why yeah you know i want i wanted to be with gerard butler all the way through i was hoping somehow some way even when he starts to kill people who are more on the innocent side that he was somehow going to tie it in to making a greater point that that's the direction I wanted the movie to go. I'd rather change it where he doesn't kill the innocent people and makes a point to the justice system. So here's the ending I have, the revised ending. Um, so 
After written and directed by Andrew D. Christina. My from first credit. Backseat directed. So I would have stuck with the elements, like I said, of the, the principled stance, um, cut out everything after Bray's, from, from Bray's appearance on. Um, so I would continue with the justice system as the enemy, moving off from just the actual criminals to the justice system as the enemy. Um, and I would have him um, prove that they only care about moving people through the system, um, whether innocent or not, and that he proves the system's corrupt, still dies a martyr. Because the way, in my opinion, that he dies at the end is just him as a villain losing to now Nick Rice as the hero, who's a relatively uninspired, uninteresting character from my perspective. But here's how I have the movie ending. They're in a courtroom. Um, he has now admitted guilt after killing like the involved parties, the corrupt people. Um, and now he's gotten to sentencing. Um, so, so does he kill Nick? Here, I wrote, I, I literally wrote a paragraph of dialogue that I'll read to you now. So he would get permission to address the court and he would stand up and speak and say this. Clyde Sheldon would say this. I will not be addressing the court, but instead I am addressing everyone at home. So it's a televised courtroom. My wife's name was Sarah. My, my daughter's name was Elena. I had to make those names up because the script lists them as Clyde's wife and Clyde's daughter. <laughs> Yesterday, their murderer was walking the... Or, Last, let's say, a month ago, their murderer was walking your streets. Today, I stand before you in handcuffs for ending the life of that man, Clarence Darby and his co-conspirator, Rupert Ames. The people who walk these halls treat humans like pawns and the justice system like some kind of sick game. For the last month, they've been playing mine, and they've been made to feel our pain. There's only one piece left to take off the board, and it's the man responsible for all of this. So at this point, um, with kind of a huge crowd audience is now built up to watch this trial because of everything that's been going on, the publicity of him killing all these people. Um, there's a huge crowd in the courtroom. There's a huge riot going on outside the courtroom. And I would have shots going around to different homes watching the trial at home. I would have that start out earlier in the movie and effect throughout kind of like in V for Vendetta to show like the public opinion shifting towards him, kind of seeing him as an anti-hero against the justice system. So after he's given his speech and he said there's only one person left to take off the board, he says it's the man responsible for all this. He reaches in his pocket and moves towards Nick looking at him, at which point he's shot um, by the bailiff in court to defend Nick and he falls to the ground dead. Nick screams no, because he doesn't want him to kill him. He, he knows this is probably part of his plan. Um, but when they roll over uh, Clyde's body, all he's holding in his hand is obviously the beads, the bracelet that his daughter made for him. That's his daddy on it. Um, and he dies as a martyr. They see the justice system as a villain. Um, uh, let's see what else I have on here. Um, Yes, and then from there, we're going to cut back to the irate audiences, cut to the crowd screaming, furious that they killed somebody who only took revenge. They, they effective, He got them to make themselves the villain by killing him after all he did was take revenge for his family, who the court system wasn't willing to take justice for. And I think it would make the point he was trying to make. Um, Nick would live because Nick is not a rotten person to his core. And then maybe we close the movie out from there where Nick is in a similar trial and he makes a different decision. And we see change starting to be incited from outside and from within the justice system. Boom. And you took the cheesy line and reconstructed it to work in a uh, more modern manner, maybe? Yeah, taking pieces off the yeah. board. Yeah. Re reconstructed it to, to be part of his argument. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I think 
release the original cut of this movie, would you? <laughs> Maybe this is... Who knows? Like... This, this, I think, would just be a much more satisfying ending. Stick with the thriller elements. Stick with making the point he was trying to make. It's real-world points about the justice system that need to be made. That every day, killers do go free because of legal loopholes. And yeah. it's something we're still perfecting after hundreds of years, you know, the legal system. So I think that that would be a much more appropriate ending. I wanted Nick... Not Nick. I wanted... To stay with Gerard Butler's, Gerard Butler's character, Clyde, I wanted him to stay as the protagonist throughout, even if he was a corrupt, dark hero. I wanted the movie to stick with him and audiences to stick with him, but ultimately they went a different route. Yeah, I think even if they kept it the, the turn that they had, um, just don't make him a, an advanced spy. Yeah. You know, just have him be someone who's filled with revenge and rage. I just don't understand what point... So in the movie, um, at the end, he's going to blow up this meeting of the mayor and all the officials. And I don't understand what point he's going to make by literally just killing everyone. It starts to see, like, how smart is this guy? Is he smart or just deranged? Because he's killing the innocent lawyers on Nick's team, blowing up their cars. Yeah, that's where, like, I think you kind of start to lose... Yeah. Right? Like where you start to stop feeling for yeah. him. You're like, where is he going with this? Now he's just killing people who didn't weren't even involved in the case. Right. Like those Nick's team now isn't the same team as ten years ago. Right. And he was making all these as points to Nick. Like I I, I just started to lose the the link to him. And so at the beginning of the movie, this is something I want to talk about. Where in the movie do we lose the connection to Clyde Sheldon, because we do, as an audience, at some point, most of us. Um, and I feel like it's right there when he blows up the cars in the parking lot, because I thought he was going to make a greater point there. He said, or he, I, he said, or I kill everyone. I mean, all the innocent people, Clyde? Like, what? Yeah, now he's no better than yeah. the people who killed his family. Yeah, because those people had families. Right. And loved ones. They're innocent people. Yeah. So then it's like, I don't know, it's no longer a blurred line. Then it's just... Wrong. Okay. Yeah, They're wrong. like trying to turn him into the bad guy. And which Gerard, they still could have done by having it be justified, but it's just where it's like, hey, you went too far. Yeah. You know, like I see your point and you're kind of right, but the way you went about it is wrong. Like you can still make someone be a bad guy while still like kind of being in the right. Yeah. You know, like you, you don't have to have a hard cross of the line. You know, to where, like, okay, now he's 100% a bad guy. Yeah, I mean, so that brings me to my next point. Gerard Butler said that he always felt when they were writing the movie, and I think he was involved in the script process, that at some point the audience was going to turn against Clyde, that they would be with him in the beginning. And he said he was shocked by how strong the audiences were with him throughout. Like, he would go in theaters and see people cheering to him killing innocent people. And he was like, wow, this is really dark. I'm surprised people haven't turned against me. But when you have an opening, like the opening they had, I, so I was watching it on the recommendation of my friend Keegan, our friend Keegan. And when are you coming on the podcast, Keegan? Yeah, we're going to hit him with that every time until he finally comes on. So I texted him right away when Clarence Darby like pinned his wife to the ground and then goes and picks up his kid. I texted Keegan and I said, I have already forgiven Gerard Butler's character for whatever he does for the rest of this movie. Like, I was like, he has... take that back now? <laughs> I guess I would say I take it back because it starts to not make sense anymore. 
I knew he was going to go to great lengths for revenge, but I never would have thought that he was going to start killing innocent people. Um, but like, that's that's the level that as an audience we're with him. Because not only do we love Clyde Clyde Shelton because he's so smart and because he's intelligent and he's uh, Gerard Butler, um, but like we feel like in ourselves that need for vengeance. So like we are riding with him very, very strongly. And some people ride with him all the way to the end, to the last moment. So I think that it just would have been better if they wrote it along those lines more instead of with the idea of turning Nick into the hero. Yeah. And where do you feel like, do you feel like you turned to him at the same moment? Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, cause at that point, like you said, it's, it's a hard line. It's like, I don't understand why you did that. You know, like, what was the point of that? You're no different than any other bad guy now. And like, his, his request was for them to release him. Yeah. So why, what point do you make that they won't release a criminal, which you've already said they shouldn't do, so now you're going to kill them? Right. You, you agreed that you murdered somebody. You shouldn't be... You, well, you agreed when you said that to the judge. Yeah, so, and at this point, you... You've killed someone while being in jail, too. So, so very like, clearly, you're obvi- like two you're, of you in you're a cell. You're 100% a murderer. Yeah, you're very point. guilty. You know, whether it was for the right reasons or wrong reasons, you've killed someone, you know, uh, that they can 100% prove, you know, because you were in jail while you did it. And now, yeah, it, that part doesn't, that's where I lost, lost the connection to him as well. Yeah, it's that's an unfortunate change in the story. And I think that's, really honing into the fact that Gerard Butler's character is the best character in the movie and focusing that in the writing and aligning the plot with that so that people are able to follow him through all the time. Towing the line of a good anti-hero is what would be the biggest change for this movie along with the thematic elements not being so wishy-washy. Yeah. Um, um, let's kind of jump into some behind the scenes. I think the biggest thing is that Gerard Butler and Jamie Foxx were originally supposed to play opposite roles, uh, yeah, which, is, which is pretty interesting. And it seems like there's a few different stories of how this went down and how they ended up switching. Um, but it's so one says it was their idea. One says it was their <laughs> idea. Who do you really believe? But um, essentially, they, it seems like they had the whole movie set up and they had it cast to where Gerard Butler was going to play Nick. He was going to play Nick Rice, the lawyer, the, you know, suit and tie hero of the story. And he says later in an interview too, he's like, yeah, but Clyde was a more interesting character. He was more, uh, terrifying for me to take on, you know, more challenging of a role. Uh, so I wanted to do that one. But then there's some conflicting stories where Jamie Foxx came in, was offered the position of Clyde, and he's like, no, I want Nick. And then they did their little gymnastic moves to make it happen and <laughs> switched them around. So whose idea was it? Not really sure. Um, but I think, I think the roles that they did play were the right roles ultimately a really good choice in my mind and i can't picture it any other way after having seen the movie i think they have said the same thing too gerard butler says i i couldn't imagine it different at this point i wonder so did they always have those roles even when they originally filmed it or did they switch i think originally they before they filmed they did the switch so so they we also know that gerard butler was a trained lawyer that he went to law school 
um, and just, I believe at the end of law school, switched over to his career as an actor. Yeah, from what I could find that he was in like, basically like an internship after law school or, or towards the end of law school and he ended up getting fired the last week of that job and yeah. didn't become a lawyer and instead went to pursue his acting career. So that's probably part of why they originally had him in the Nick Rice role. He's probably part of why he felt comfortable in that role because yeah. of his experience with the world of law. Right. And in an interview, him himself said that Nick did not do a good job defending his case. And basically, I don't know if we've gone over it yet, but basically Clyde wanted Nick to prosecute further uh, but Nick was saying, oh, the evidence just isn't there. And if we lose this trial, he could walk free. But the alternative was that he got a deal and ended up only spending three years in jail or prison. Yeah. So, like, if I was in Clyde Shelton's point of view, I would, or in his shoes, I would definitely want to risk. Didn't our camera die? It's off, it's black change the battery pack that's kind of annoying because it didn't say that it needed to before we started this all right andrew's back with us our cameras are back working um technical difficulties with our new studio no big deal um happens right yeah let's get back into the show so i was talking about how if i was in clyde sheldon's shoes i would want nick to try to prosecute because the guy only ended up serving three years, which is, like we said, nothing, you know? And Nick didn't want to prosecute any further because he said there wasn't enough evidence to convict them and that he could just possibly go free. But I feel like I would rather have at least tried to make that happen because when we flash forward 10 years, he's been out for seven years, which is a long time. You know, to just be free. He committed two murders, let alone whatever else he's yeah, done. Yeah, that's only what, we, yeah, only what we know about so right. far. Exactly. So I feel like I would have been disappointed in my representation as well in Clyde's position. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I'd be in the same position. If I was in that position, I would want to push for the absolute worst thing to happen to him. And I would just say... Well, if we risk it all and he gets off scot-free, then I'll just find him and kill him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe don't say that to the prosecuting team. Uh, but we'll, we'll redact that yeah. from the video so that the NSA doesn't get me. <laughs> um, Andrew, do you have any other points of this movie that you want to talk about? Hmm. No, all my thoughts have been said. Um, I have a funny behind the scenes. Oh, let me know. What is it? Um, Which is, we've actually kind of talked about this in another podcast already, but Gerard Butler and Jamie Foxx, three years later, ended up starring in the same movie, uh, Back to Back. So, Olympus Has Fallen, White House Down, uh, twin films. So that's kind of funny that the two stars of this movie basically went and made the same movie after. Yeah, go back and check out our Twin Films episode if you haven't seen that one. It's a really interesting phenomenon where two movies are basically made in the same year with very similar, if not exactly the same plot structures. That is episode 17. But I think that if we were going to choose the person who kind of steals the show in this movie, I 
would like to hear your answer, but I think it's absolutely Gerard Butler. I, th- I think we're locked yeah. in with him every For second sure. of every scene he's in. His eyes are very intense and filled with that focus and that rage. And I think that we are very locked in with his character. Yeah, Nick is always behind. He also, in the beginning, you know, like you, you were kind of rooting against him because, again, you wanted him to pursue it further. I hated and when Nick won at the end. I was like, there's no way you out-strategized him. I, even with him as the villain, I still just didn't want Nick to win because I didn't care about Nick's character. But it's, very, it's still a very good shot at the end. There are some decent components to the ending where he's looking at that bracelet emotionally and the fire building around him. That was it does cool look shot. great visually, yeah. 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 Um, Andrew, let's go into a recommendation for our listeners. If they're at home and they got some free time, what's a show or movie or even both that you would recommend them to watch? So I would recommend for a TV show, I'd recommend Blue Lock. It's this uh, anime that I've been watching that is about playing soccer. I've talked about it before on the show, but now that we're five episodes into the show, I've loved it more with every episode. I get so incredibly hyped for this show. It's very exciting. The animation's great. It's my top most look forward to thing uh, in terms of content every week now. It's I look forward to watching the new episode of Blue Lock the most. So I, that has my strongest recommendations. And then for a movie, I was just up till about 1.15, 1.30 a.m. last night watching Moneyball so for the first time. Um, I had never seen Moneyball. It is on Netflix if you want to watch it. So easy access for most of us. Um, it's a great, very well-filmed movie. I think incredibly well acted by Brad Pitt. It's a good watch. Um, Aaron, what are you recommending the folks at home watch? Yeah, so starting off with a TV show like you did, I just watched The Watcher on Netflix. The show came out not too long ago. It's a Kind of a, a one ser- a short series. Um, it's got 10 episodes, I believe, but it's about this family that ends up moving into this house. They get a mysterious letter saying that this guy is the watcher of the house and is welcoming them to the neighborhood, but does so in a very creepy way, asking about the family members, asking about who's staying in which room because they love this room and all that stuff. And they end up finding different people in their house and a lot of weird things start happening and it's, I believe, based off of a true story. So it's very interesting. It, uh, I watched it all 10 episodes in a row. Um, so it wow. had my full attention on it. I would definitely recommend going check that out. And for a movie, I watched this movie back when it originally came out, but I just re-watched it a day or two ago and that is Man on a Ledge, um, the actor that stars in Avatar, who should be an A-list actor, who just isn't in that many of movies, is in this movie. Um, and it's about a guy who used to be a cop, he was an ex-cop. He ends up going to uh, jail for a crime. He ends up escaping and goes on onto a ledge to commit suicide. And then from there, this whole plan unveils, and it's a really cool, interesting story that I would recommend checking out. I think I've seen that movie. Have you? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Good twists and turns in there. Yeah. Interesting plot for sure. But we appreciate everyone who listened this far. 
Do remember that you can be entered in this giveaway to win one of the three comics that I'm holding right here. There are three separate volumes. We're gonna pick three winners. All you have to do is comment on the video, comment anything you like, let us know how your day is going, um, and be subscribed to our YouTube channel. So uh, we will pick our winners in the next week or two, and we'll reach out to whoever we pick. We might do a quick video where we just put you guys in uh, randomizer and pick somebody so it's fair. Yep, so remember, comment, subscribe on our YouTube channel. That's it. So comment on this video, subscribe on the YouTube channel, and that's, that's a wrap. wrap.